Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we are doing part two of our interviews with some of the Ladies on the Loop authors. And we're going to start off with Sarah Bolin, who's uh, also known as Mom with a Map. And her title is Not All Sunsets and Chardonnay. So um, really cute take on things that happen on the loop that maybe you don't expect. Before we bring Sarah in, I do want to take a moment, as usual, to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. So, uh, welcome Sarah Bowen to the show. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Kim. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you because you've had quite an adventure so far. So your chapter, as I said, <laughs> is called Not All Sunsets and Chardonnay. Um, and you are looping with your family. So tell us a little bit about that, about you and the family and your great loop so far. Absolutely. I am traveling the great loop with my husband, Brent, and our two kids, Mary Grace and Miller. Uh, my husband, Brent, is still able to work full time with uh, all the COVID stuff. He is just doing his job remotely. Um, and then, of course, Mary Grace and Miller are boat schooling. Um, my daughter, Mary Grace, just turned 13 last week, and she is just thriving with this. She's um, memorized Chapman's and learned all the knots, and she's actually already actively logging hours towards her captain's license. Wow. Um, yeah. And then uh, Miller's eight, and um, I think he's really just here for the snacks, but that's <laughs> fine, too. He's loving it. Mm -hmm. um, and overall, we're just a family that loves to travel, and we really love to inspire others to travel. That's kind of always been our mission. And we've been to 48 states and a handful of countries. Um, and about five years ago, we began just kind of praying about doing something unique. And the Great Loop was kind of what fell on our hearts. And May 2020 was the date that uh, we prayed about for years. And through obviously a lot of crazy circumstances, um, here we are. And we started our loop from Brunswick, Georgia. And as you know, there's been a lot of obstacles this year, but we're currently on Lake Erie, and we just met so many great loopers along the way, and it's been really awesome, and our family is having a great time. Now, a quick question related to your husband working full-time, um, because that's a question I get from a lot of would-be loopers who have the ability to work remotely, and I think more and more people are discovering that they can work remotely, and it has worked for them during COVID, but is it challenging for him to find the time to fit in the work part and the cruising part and the exploring part? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a, that's a great question, and we're figuring it out as we go. Um, for us, it's working really well to be in marinas during the work week. Um, we find that's less distracting for him and works better for our family. So we are choosing stops that I feel safe and comfortable exploring with the kids. Obviously, right now, there's a lot of outdoor stuff um, that we're, we're doing. Um, and then, of course, you know, schooling the kids. Um, but he's able to work and use Internet. And, you know, I think some days he feels like he misses out on a little bit with us. But that was kind of the case before we started the loop as well. So I think overall, we feel just incredibly blessed to be able to do this and that he still is able to do the job that he loves. Mm -hmm. 
Well, tell us about Not All Sunsets and Chardonnay. Where did that title come from? Yeah, so I really think that most people think that living on a boat is really glamorous. And um, if I'm being honest, I thought it was going to be really glamorous, too. Um, But it didn't take me long to realize that it's a lot of hard work. Um, And then, you know, as as you mentioned earlier, I'm a travel blogger. And so one thing I've always strived to be is authentic. Um, So when I'm sharing experiences, I really like to keep it real. Um, And so I just, you know, it's really not all sunsets and Chardonnay. And I don't say that as a negative. I say it with a lot of respect. Um, You know, for people who've earned the gold burgie, it's really something that you earn. And, um, you know, I'm absolutely exhausted, both mentally and physically at the end of every day. And so, you know, there's people twice my age doing this. Um, So my chapter, I guess it's really about finding your own strength to push past challenges. And and then obviously, it's me keeping it real. And while I've um, certainly seen a lot of pretty sunsets and probably had too much Chardonnay along the way, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of hard work, too. So, and, and you kind of bring that home by um, sharing five sentences that you really never thought you would utter. <laughs> so, um, and I think most people who have spent any extended amount of time on a boat can certainly re- relate to these. So, what was the first sentence and, you know, where did it come from? What caused you to actually say that? Yeah, so my first sentence I wrote about was, when I unscrew this, I'm not going to get electrocuted, am I? Um, and so really the story behind that is we learned very quickly that um, if you own a boat, you've got to learn a little DIY. Um, the boat project seemed to be never-ending. And in this particular situation, uh, we had a shower pump, bilge pump, um, that was failing. And I was the only one who fit down in the little space that was required to remove it and kind of figure out what was going on with the pump. So. Um, that was it. And, you know, I was a little nervous, but we have really found our way through these DIY projects and honestly coming out the other side of them when they're done, there's such a feeling of accomplishment. And, you know, I think now we're starting to learn our limits and when we need to hire a professional and when we, you know, can try to do it ourselves, but it's really kind of become a lot of fun to figure things out, how they work on the boat and, um, and, and fix them ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, someone once, uh, and this is probably what drove home to me, that the, the need to know DIY to some extent, but also know when to call a professional. I mean, a lot of people don't think about boats that they're living aboard as, uh, you know, you've got the same systems you need as you have at home. There's electrical, there's plumbing, um, there's mechanical, and, and all those things need to work. And um, it's nice when you can have that feeling of accomplishment of fixing some of this stuff yourself. So I can completely relate to that. Um, what was the second sentence? The second sentence was, how do I know if the blob on the radar that I'm about to hit is rain or a boat? And I think some of us who have not used our radar often um, run into those challenges. So what was the situation and, you know, have you used the radar extensively um, or were you kind of new to using it at that point? Yeah, so we, um, a couple things, you know, when we bought the boat, I was never intended to be the driver. It was kind of my husband's job and it was, I was fine turning the reins over to him on that. Um, and then also we never planned to travel in bad weather. I mean, that was just kind of a, I think that's a looper motto. <laughs> a lot of people don't, you know, there's no reason to travel in, in bad weather, but things happen. And on a day that my husband had taken off work, he had a meeting come up that he really wanted to attend. And 
I had learned how to drive the boat, but I obviously had not learned how to use all of the instruments on the boat, um, including the radar. And so we were able to, my daughter actually was able to figure out how to turn the radar on. And we're watching it, and the rain is coming down pretty hard. And it was just interesting to see um, on the radar, you know, the rain sometimes looks like boats, and we just didn't know how to use it. So we have since used it um, on sunny days just so that we can kind of get a good sense on, like, what things look like. Um, and it came in really handy because as we were going through New York um, up the Hudson, we had some really strong fog, and it was great to know how to use the radar. So I would just encourage anybody that doesn't know either how to drive their boat or use all of the tools that they have available. Um, it is important, even if you think it's not. Yeah, and that's such a good tip, particularly about radar, is you know to use it on a sunny day, uh, so you understand yep. how it works before you actually need it. And there's some looper boats that don't have radar, and that's okay too. But if you do have it, it's it's great to be able to use the tools at your disposal and be comfortable and familiar with them. So that's a great tip. Um, so let's go to the third one. What was the third? Uh, sentence you never thought you would say? Oh, man, this one is not my favorite, but it's, I'm going to need a bigger trap. <laughs> so tell us, what, what kind of trap were you, or what kind of critter were you trying to trap? It, yeah, so I don't even like to say the word, but it's an R-A-P, and it ended up on our boat thinking it was going to loop with us, and I would say this will always be the benchmark for worst-case scenario. Um, I mean, Curtis Stokes didn't even know it, but I had put the sign back up and he had the boat for sale until my husband saw the sign and immediately pulled it down. But I was ready. I was done. Um, but we had this little critter on board and he, you know, was active at night. We called an exterminator. It was just this whole long thing, but we did get him. And apparently this doesn't happen often, so I don't want to scare a lot of people, but it does happen. And of course it happened to us. <laughs> it it does happen, and you know part of it's the the climate and the environment you're in. And um, I live on a marsh and had a, a a rat that chose to set up shop in our garage one day. So I also thought I was going to need to sell the house, but you can take care of these things humanely <laughs> and, and move on. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's certainly something that people don't really think about with boats. They expect the mayflies, um, but not some of the little crawly critters. Um, but they can be taken care of. And also good lesson learned that it doesn't have to do the whole loop with you. <laughs> you can send him yeah. on his way. Um, so fill us in on the fourth one. What's the fourth sentence? So the fourth one is, oh, it's only going to be $12,000. I thought we had a major problem. And, and that, I think, boat owners anybody can relate. who owns a boat mm -hmm. can, can relate to. It's, uh, you know, things are expensive. And as we had somebody telling us something that was not working, um, you know, in my head, I went to what is the worst possible dollar amount. And so when... They came back with that figure. It was a relief. And it's just funny how relative that is now because obviously that amount would have, um, it, it's still, I mean, it's a big amount, but it's just in boating, it's just is something you come to expect, I guess. Yep. And everybody, you know, dreads that day. But I, I guess I, I really like your, um, the way you looked at it was you had in your head what the worst case was going to be. So then the actual case didn't seem quite so bad. So that, that's also a great way to look at it. Um, but yeah, we encourage everybody to kind of, uh, budget if they're budgeting for the loop. Some of us kind of wing it, <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're trying to figure out what the loop is going to cost, you really do need to consider some repairs, but that also does tie right back into your first one. Uh, because if you can fix the basics yourself, 
then you will hopefully have more money left over for the bigger things that you actually do have to bring in the professionals. So I hate that it happened to you, um, but thank you for sharing that so that others can learn from that lesson that uh, 12,000 might not be that big of a number in boating, (laughs) depending on what breaks. Exactly. Um, Okay, well, let's go on to the fifth one. Yes, the fifth one is that marina doesn't have a laundry room. That's a deal breaker. And I can honestly say I now have come to appreciate a laundry room, and that's something that I would never have thought of before the loop. I really took it for granted. Um, But our boat, we had the choice, um, I guess, of a third bedroom that would be for my son or a laundry room. And obviously, we brought our son son along on the trip. So uh, (laughs) we are doing laundry at marinas. And so when we don't have a laundry room, that's a big deal for us. So um, the pools and the beach access and the courtesy cars, those things have kind of gone further down on our list. And laundry room is now one of the top priorities we look for. And that's also a great, great uh, lesson learned that some people hopefully will realize um, that I guess it probably goes along with the sunsets and Chardonnay is that it does sound wonderful to be at the resort style marinas with all the different amenities, but at some point it does come back to the basics and you do need things like clean clothes. So um, I don't, th- yeah. I don't think you shared yet what kind of a boat you're aboard. We have a 4450s cruiser and it has actually already done the loop before. So this is its second time around, which mm-hmm. is pretty neat to know. Yeah. And so that's a three stateroom boat. It sounds like you had that option um, and went with that. So your son had a good place to sleep. <laughs> Very smart. Exactly. So those are yes, the f- having our own space is key. Yeah. So those are the five that you share in the book, but you also mention some runners up in the book. So um, let's see if we can uh, go through one or two of those because dying to hear the stories behind those as well. <laughs> so the first one that was kind of a runner up is how much caulk on my skin warrants following the tube's advice to seek medical treatment. And, how much and is it? <laughs> you know, going right along with the, uh, the money it takes to have professional repairs and the DIY aspect, um, I had decided one day that while my husband was working, I was going to caulk some of the outside windows. And as I was applying pressure to the tube of caulk, it somehow all came out the back and was all in my hand. And you know, kind of undeterred, I was like, well, I'll just go with it. And so I caulked using my hand some of the windows and then came inside to wash my hands and it didn't come off. I mean, it was, the water was beating all over my hand. And so I just thought, well, maybe the tube tells you how to, how to remove this. And instead of giving advice on how to get it off, it said to seek medical treatment. So thankfully I didn't go that route and didn't need that, but I was a little worried at first. And, uh, and so that's just kind of a lesson learned when I'm doing the projects. I probably need to stick a little more to the, uh, the rules of, of doing them. Yeah. You successfully waterproofed your hands, though, for a little while there. <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, so give us one um, And then give the us, next uh, one was, uh, can uh, I pay you to dive for my daughter's bike? And <laughs> we had a situation where my kids were riding their bikes around the marina, and they came inside for lunch. And because they were just coming in for a few minutes, they left their bikes on the dock. And we, 30 minutes later, it was gone. And we could not figure out what could have happened. Um, so we actually watched the marina video camera, thinking that maybe somebody had just borrowed it, thinking it was a marina bike. We just kind of wanted to know what happened. 
And sure enough, it had blown off of the dock. And so we had had a diver uh, clean our hull not two or three weeks earlier. And so we actually paid him to dive down and get our daughter's bike off the floor. Um, and he said it was by far the strangest thing that he'd ever dove for, but it was great because we got it back. <laughs> well, I love that story. One of the challenges of looping with kids. Um, but I also do think there's lots of people who can relate to that because it's not always a bike that goes in, but sometimes it's something else that they may need and want back. So um, these are, are great lessons learned, but with a fun spin on them. So uh, Sarah Bolin, Mom with a Map, thank you so much for sharing them with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. And, and seriously, hats off to all of the ladies on the loop. I've been so inspired by everybody. So I just really appreciate it. Yeah. And the book has gotten such great feedback um, from ladies and men. Um, but, but because of how much all of you authors shared um, and how useful it is. So I uh, agree. Hats off to all of the ladies who contributed chapters on this, including you, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Kim. And of course, today we do have two guests, both who are authors of chapters of Ladies on the Loop. So we'll take a quick break and hear a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll start our interview with Rini Boyer. Back in a moment. Good morning, Loopers. Many of you are probably already cruising in southeastern waters, and that is where the Salty Southeast Cruisers Net focuses all of its efforts to help you enjoy your time on the water. So as you prepare for the next leg of your journey, and as your resource for accurate, timely and useful information. We want to invite you to use and add your knowledge to the wealth of information that's available through the Cruisers Net in its directories for marinas, bridges, and anchorages, as well as the latest fuel prices in your area. Our mission of Cruisers Helping Cruisers, may we invite you to help those following in your wake by sharing with us your cruising experiences. Thank you. Have a great day. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Again, today we are discussing the new ebook, Ladies on the Loop. And our second looper today, who is sharing the details about the chapter she wrote, is Rini Boyer. So, Rini, welcome. Thanks for joining me on Great Loop Radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And Rini is coming to us all the way from Hawaii, where they are enjoying some time. Um, but tell us, Rini, a little bit about the story of your Great Loop. What kind of boat did you use? Um, you know, just kind of share a little bit about how you went about doing the loop. Okay. Um, well, the name of our boat is Thistle, and um, she's a Mariner 40 Europa-style boat which um, there aren't very many of them. Um, those of you that aren't familiar with a Mariner 40, it's quite similar to a Grand Bank and 42 Europa. And um, for the loop, I participated the entire time with my husband, Greg. Um, for our looping experience, um, we were basically really slow loopers. Um, it started in 2013 when we purchased our um, boat Thistle in Connecticut, and we ended up wintering Thistle right away. And um, we actually started our loop in 2014. And for that summer, like I said, we were real slow. We basically did the triangle loop and really enjoyed the Thousand Islands. Um, stayed in Montreal for a month, which was a huge highlight. We stayed in Ottawa for a week, and then the first year we wintered um, back in Brewerton, New York. Um, let's see. And then in 2015, um, for the loop, we did the Thousand Islands and the Rideau and the Trent Severn. 
um, basically just really enjoyed the Canadian waters. And um, and that year we wintered in uh, Charlevoix, Michigan. Um, then in 2016, I guess we just say life got in the way. Um, so we were super slow loopers the first three or four years. And then in 2017, we went back to Charlevoix and um, finished our loop in 2018. Um, so we spent a little over a year on the boat on that stint. Um, so I guess that year, um, we basically feel like we were sort of regular loopers, not uh-huh. slow loopers, mm-hmm. and um, enjoyed every single day of it. Yeah. Well, tell us about, and you share this in your chapter, um, but tell us a little bit about how you first learned about the Great Loop and decided it was something you wanted to do. Um, Well, interestingly enough, uh, we're from the West Coast and we grew up sailing, but um, I was at a meeting in Minneapolis and I was walking along the river, the Mississippi River, and um, saw actually a sailboat with this really interesting bergie, and I stopped to speak with them, and it turned out it was um, an AG, American Great Loop bergie, and um, it was quite the conversation starter, and um, the people were super, super nice and told me all about the loop, and it's what got us really excited to start the loop. Mm-hmm. And how did you get Greg on board once you learned about it on your trip to Minneapolis? Oh, that wasn't hard at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like I said, we grew up sailing. um, And at first, um, I don't think he even had heard. I'm sure he hadn't heard about the Great Loop. And I hadn't heard about it either. So um, he believed I was a little bit confused with my geography, Mm -hmm. although then we studied it and uh, joined the Great Loop, America's Great Loop Association, learned all about it, and started looking for a boat and uh, found one that we thought we were both pretty happy with. Mm-hmm. Well, you titled your chapter in the Ladies on the Loop book, What's Your Name? So tell us a little bit about why you chose that title and why you chose to write about this topic. <laughs> I guess when we were on the loop, we found out right away that we didn't usually address people by their given names. We usually address the fellow loopers by their boat name. And it's kind of funny because you kind of get some idea of who somebody is when you learn about their boat name. And um, to tell you the truth, we're kind of bad at names, but we always remember people's boat names. And um, it just sort of turned into a little bit of a game, and um, we enjoyed addressing people um, by their boat name, and sometimes it, um, you know, gave you a funny smirk or a little bit of humor when you said their name out loud. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's so true on the loop that people are known by their boat name, so it really becomes an important part of the culture, so to speak, and it is often easier to remember the names of the boats, and there's so many great boat names out there. So it's always fun to ask people about the background on their boat name. And I want to hear about the background on Thistle because it's such an interesting story. Um, But first, beyond it being part of kind of the looper culture, there's some uh, maritime tradition, uh, some significance behind the boat name. So you share a little bit of that in your chapter as well, but kind of give us the highlights about this maritime tradition on boat names. 
Well, for boat names, it's um, considered good luck to name your boat. And um, it's rumored that um, Poseidon has a ledger of the deep that he records all the boat names. And um, superstition has it that it's kind of bad luck to change your boat name, although it's okay if you actually remove all space of the old names um, to say on Poseidon's good name. You can rename your boat, but um, maritime tradition says it's good luck to keep the name. So um, with Thistles, uh, we like the name Thistles, so we just kept it. Yeah, and your boat came with that name. And for anybody who's listening, I don't know, um, Rini, if you ever found it difficult for people to understand the word thistle on the radio, because it's not a common word, but it's T-H-I-S-T-L-E. So thistle, and that's the boat, the name your boat had when you bought her. Um, What does thistle mean? Yes, the name was thistle when we bought her, and... um Initially, we liked the name, and we thought it was easier to say in our mind, but I'll have to say um, we probably had to spell thistle about a thousand times on our (laughs) loop, so I would caution anybody when they're figuring out their boat name to find maybe something easy that's understandable to say over the radio, and um, let's see, thistle, of course, um, it's the national flower of Scotland. And um, thistles are known to be um, strong plants that um, are all about bravery and courage and loyalty. Those are some words that are meant to mean thistle. And um, thistle's been um, adopted as an emblem that's um, a positive emblem that's unique and um, tells stories of your heritage. So we really felt on the trip that... Um, Thistle definitely lived up to her name while participating on the Great Loop. Mm-hmm. And um, especially when we were in Canada, because there's quite a Scottish background in Ontario, we were quite popular there with our name. Everybody <laughs> liked it. And uh, there was even a uh, one of our side trips was to Perth um, off the Rideau Canal. And there was a brewery that... Um, they're saying was wet your thistle. So we got a few um, beers from there because it said wet your thistle right on it. So oh, we cool. thought that was pretty fun. Now, are either you or Greg Scottish at all? Nope. But um, we did find out um, that we had a pretty strong connection to the name thistle. Um, Greg found out after we decided to keep the name that um, – his great-grandmother's maiden name was Thistle, and he found that out from his uncle when his uncle was uh, applying for an Irish passport. So um, we thought it was just meant to be to keep Thistle's name and and like it for an, our entire loop. Yeah, and that's one of the things I love about that story is that it wasn't a name you picked, but it fit so well and later found out you had such a strong connection to the name. So I don't, I don't hear that happening too often. Um, so it's it's such a neat story. No, we thought it was pretty special, and uh, we're pleased that we kept the name. Mm-hmm. Um, any other, what are some of the favorite boat names you've come across on the loop? I think one of my favorites is um, Eric's Inheritance. Everybody here at the Homeport crew loved that boat name. 
Um, I think we saw another yes, one that was uh, Eric's tuition. There's so much fun. <laughs> yep. Um, let's see. We still read the forum every day, and I love to look at the boat names, and um, they're they're also interesting. Um, I guess, gosh, you're kind of putting me on the spot with that one, Sorry. but some <laughs> of our best friend loopers that um, I have to smile at their names. Is, how can you not smile at Skinny Dipper? You know, that just... <laughs> conjures up your imagination like what in the world are they doing on the loop or um let's see mother ocean they were some of our best looper friends and um they're just it's just stately and that fits their boat um let's see other friends um that make me smile is a a boat named getting getting looped like mm-hmm. you know that they're having fun the entire time so those are a few favorites yeah, and there, there's so many neat ones. Um, one of my favorites, uh, because I spent, I don't know if you looped it all with Scott and Karen Duvall, who are capable cruising now that do some uh, uh, training for loopers, but they um, their boat was Last Call. And, you know, I first met them and, and saw their boat, and I figured, oh, they must really like to drink <laughs> for Last Call. Yeah, um, that's later, a good one. Scott Duvall actually, it turned out, uh, the last call was not about drinking. He was a firefighter and had retired. Um, so he had been on his last ah. call as a firefighter. So even when you think you understand a boat name and get a chuckle out of it, sometimes there's a really neat story behind it. So I, that's a, it's a great icebreaker question to ask to other loopers, and usually you'll find out some fascinating things. But, what and, we learned on the loop mm-hmm. is um, reading the forum lately, some people are nervous, like, oh, how do I make friends or how do I start a conversation? Well, obviously the Burgey, but you can always bring up a conversation of, oh, how did your boat get its name or what's the boat name meaning? And that's a great way to start. One other thing I wanted to touch on before we let you go, Rini, um, is that you talk some in your chapter about the friendships formed on the loop. And that's kind of a theme that's threaded throughout the entire book. Uh, But one of your buddy boats and uh, one of the people that you really formed a close bond with is Leslie from Tireless. And um, Leslie's chapter is really dedicated to making friends on the loop, but specifically to the, the bond that you and Leslie shared. So what is it about the friendships you make on the loop that makes them so special? Oh, gosh. Um, I think developing my lady friendships on the loop was probably one of the most rewarding aspects of participating in the loop. And... Um, Definitely uh, tireless uh, fits the bill there. Um, Our friendship just kind of developed slowly. Um, I'd say that, uh, you know, on the loop, uh, you kind of meet somebody once and introduce yourself, and then you see the boat again a couple weeks later, and you share some stories, and then the next step is you kind of have dock tails and then you meet the boat again and, and you kind of have dinner together or, you know, after that, maybe you're buddy boating for a few days or a week or a month or a year. So that's kind of how the friendships develop. Um, I would say uh, Leslie aboard Tireless, um, we just sort of clicked right away as a special friendship. And... Um, I, I guess the story goes as, you know, your your good friends kind of know your stories on the loop, but your best friend, you, they live them with you. <laughs> and uh, that's how I feel about our friendship between uh, Thistle and Tireless. It's mm-hmm. just a really special one. 
Um, after we finished the loop in 2018, um, last summer 19, we had the um, summer to buddy boat with Tireless and Thistle, and we did the Rideau Canal again and just, you know, enjoyed every single minute of it. And that's uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about your chapter, Rini, was that you touched upon two of the, the really um, fun kind of looper traditions. And one is the boat names and another is the friendships that are formed. So um, it really spoke a lot to, as I said, two key things that people take away from the loop. So thank you for that. And um, thank you for joining me today. Yes. And, you know, I just, I just wanted to share, I think one of our, experience or observations doing the loop is over five years we had a chance to be slow loopers and what I'll say regular loopers and slow loopers you kind of just get to sightsee a lot and enjoy the port whereas we found regular loopers or fast loopers you really are in sync with other people and you get to maybe develop those friendships a lot easier so um that's just an observation that I wanted to point out to people that are maybe starting the loop. And, uh, you know, when Greg and I were looping, we kind of said, is this a one-night town, a two-night town? Do we want to stay here a month? Or maybe we want to live here. So um, that's kind of an exciting story. And um, I just wanted to end by thanking you, Kim, and the um, America's Great Loop Association for all your help and support because it's unbelievable to all of us out there doing the loop. It's invaluable and kind of a good little story. I'll try to be fast here. In 2019, we listed Thistle on your um, website for sale Mm -hmm. and I'm, um, it's bittersweet, but Thistle sold this spring. And we're really happy to know that those people um, are ready to start the loop. And we don't know if they're, I'm sure they're going to stay on Poseidon's good side, (laughs) but uh, we don't know if they're going to keep the name or change the name. So we're really interested to uh, find out what they do there. That is good to know. I hadn't realized that. So we'll be on the lookout for Thistle going around again. Um, And thank you for your kind words. It's really our pleasure to support loopers because it's such a fun group so thank you kim um, and a special thank to susan coda for edit and putting this book together it was um, she had to have unbelievable patience to deal with (laughs) 35 ladies um writing these stories so thank you to her and uh, appreciate our time together yeah and thanks to all the ladies who contributed a chapter it's really a great resource and a great gift to the loopers coming behind you yes. so again rainy board boyer thank you for joining there. me and everyone aloha. aloha enjoy the rest of your time in hawaii and for our listeners we'll be back again next week with another episode of great loop radio until then safe cruising mm-hmm.